Welcome back to CoinScrum Markets. I'm delighted today to be joined by John Wu, president of Ava Labs. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. Tina, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, I'm really excited to learn what you guys are doing at Ava Labs. But before we do that, can you just give us a brief personal background um, on yourself and how you got involved in, in Ava Labs? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, before we do that, our respective firms signed a partnership today. Um, so we're very excited about uh, combining forces, joining forces, and to enable more people to be able to use crypto as a mechanism for payment as well as other things. So excited, awesome. excited about that. Congratulations. You too. Congratulations. <laughs> okay. So tell us, why did, why did we sign a partnership today? What's so fabulous about you? Well, actually, it goes back to why we exist from the very beginning and what I'm personally about. So my background was I was a tech investor in some traditional well-known funds. Um, and then I even ran my own fund. And then when I started investing for myself, I realized that the individual investor has no access to the benefits, the services, and the products that uh, when you work for a large major fund, mm. the access that they have. Yeah. And kind of not fair that the individual investor who, who is very skilled cannot get access to, to the product and services. And there's a lot mm. of barriers for the workflow as well. Mm. Um, in 2000, so I've been investing in crypto for about you know, seven years now. And in 2017, when the ICO boom happened, it was just like, whoa, that's fantastic. Right. I've yeah. been part of my share of IPOs and uh, nothing was as fast as a global crowdfund. And, and it was just incredible. But in the US, they were all illegal raises. So I had the um, notion to go out there and try to make it legal for US people to compliantly participate. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, um, I realized how many barriers there were and how many technology things needed to be solved. So I, for a while, I was CEO of the Digital Assets Group at Shares Post. And we were handling a lot of this issue via security tokens and addressing issues from a regulatory perspective with the mm -hmm. license. But I also realized that the technology still needed to improve. Right. And one of the killer apps that I think is going to happen, just like email was really for the internet, is issuing assets, digitizing assets, transferring the right of ownership to a, a blockchain-enabled digital asset. Issuing those assets, helping people exchange those assets. And I, you know, had known Gun for a long time. And these guys at Ava Labs were creating Avalanche, the protocol, the consensus protocol. It's a next generation blockchain. It's super fast. It is also, you know, no latency. And with that, they will make issuing assets a lot easier. So I'm president of Ava Labs, the guys behind Avalanche, the protocol. And our goal and our mission, similar to my personal mission, is just to make financial services easier. I think of it as, a, as opening up finance for everyone. Indeed, that sounds awesome. So, you know, problems in traditional finance, as you know, are often not just tech-based. And there's a whole lot more, you know, regulatory and legal issues as you've just described. 
Um, and so we've seen a lot of early projects in the public blockchain space emerge from, you know, the realms of pure tech. And in hindsight, maybe the developers could have done with some more, you know, traditional finance guys or girls um, to help them with architecting those systems. We were talking about this before we we jumped on. So um, with you taking the role as president at Ava Labs, how much do you think that this project or others can gain from merging the two worlds of you know, finance and tech? So when I joined, we were 14 people, mostly great world-class computer scientists led by Gun. We're now over 70 people. And I brought in the business team and, and a lot of other people. And one of the things I look for are people who have experience in traditional and other, and also crypto. And that mm -hmm. goes through every functionality within the organization, whether it's marketing, finance, mm -hmm. or uh, even technology and, and product managers and the devs and engineers. And to have that ability to bridge a, a traditional process with the spirit and the mindset and the entrepreneurism of crypto, that is actually not a large subset of people to find. You know, See, that's so funny. When I first got into crypto, I just kind of assumed, and I came from traditional finance, that um, it was, you know, the evolution of money. And so I would be kind of surrounded with, you know, fintech people, but that's not the case, as you've just said. It's, it's, a, it's a much smaller subset of people than one would think. It's, well, first of all, in the early 2000s, I think, um, you know, when I got involved in about 14, 15, when I told people from my traditional finance world that I was really into Bitcoin and, and what all this blockchain crypto stuff was about, they completely dismissed me. They're like, oh, yeah, you're like, oh, I was I was the weird girl that talked about Bitcoin and people told me to, that I should stop because that's right. I was scaring people. <laughs> well, they're probably not saying that now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But even 2017, those same people, they still didn't really believe in the underlying reasons why blockchain mm. and cryptocurrencies exist. But mm. they were like pinging me and saying, hey, I'm on Coinbase. This is a lot of fun. It, to them, it was more like speculation, gambling on Coinbase or some other thing. And they didn't have to report it to their fund or their bank or wherever they worked. So it was mm -hmm. just entertainment. They still yeah. didn't really believe in it. It's not till last year, 2020, that these same people are now asking me, what does this project do? What, mm -hmm. what is it really about? What is it trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And so I was getting all of these questions in terms of what the underlying operating capabilities were, what the function of the project was, and then how do you value or evaluate these things? Because in traditional finance, we're all taught to do DCFs and there's frameworks on how to value things yeah. and look at investments. It's kind of hard here. So, you know, I got actually tired of just answering point to point. And on my Twitter, and feel free to go there, John One Wu, I created a framework. I call it Open Phi, and that's an acronym basically for how to look at each project. Um, and then it's 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 great because Open Phi, although there's an acronym, and each letter represents a way to look at something like O is opportunity set. How big is this TAM, the total addressable mm -hmm. market? But mm -hmm. It also stands for my mission, which is opening up finance to all. Mm -hmm. So it's a clever little acronym. Yeah, no, fabulous. I think that some of the, the skills that are transferable as well, um, or, or that perhaps haven't been 
um, transferred into some of these projects are around, you know, kind of governance and, you know, regulatory awareness, you know, even in your marketing plans, you know, if you're used to marketing in a regulated industry, whether that's pharma or finance or, you know, I don't know, automotive, um, there is a mindset that comes with that much as there is around kind of the way you critically assess fundamentals. Um, and so it sounds like those are the skills that you're looking for um, when you're, you're looking to grow your team. And I, I understand you're hiring as well. So we should just yeah. put that out there. So, so that's a lot there. So yes, one of the underlying premises for people who can bridge this gap, so from traditional to crypto, are people who are open-minded and are willing to look at the other side, not just their own. I mean, let's be honest, like in the early days, traditional finance people scoffed at crypto OGs because it was a, a very dirty place where you know a lot of money laundering and other stuff is going on and it's not legitimate. The crypto natives, they didn't just want to move things and break things. They want to completely restructure the underlying rails of how finance mm -hmm. will be done. Mm -hmm. and we're finally getting to see that a little bit in DeFi. That's a different subject. I'm sure we'll cover it. So it's a malleable mindset and someone who's willing to look across the bridge and understand the other person's perspective. And I think we're starting to get that in this space. And frankly, mm -hmm. we're getting that because for better or for worse, the prices of Bitcoin have gone to where they are in other currencies. So mm -hmm. when there is reward, people will find common ground to talk to each other. So from yeah. skill set, the mindset's very important. Uh, another skill set, whether you're an engineer or whether you're a marketing person or a finance person or a biz dev person or a product manager, another skill set that's important is the ability to communicate. And mm -hmm. You know, it's so funny because in the early days, um, all the crypto people love to say trustless. It's a trustless mm -hmm. system. And mm -hmm. to us, that's like so obvious what that means. You know, decentralized governments, you don't, you trust the code, you don't have to worry about any person. But if you right. look at every old bank, it's like Northern Trust, you know, mm -hmm. security <laughs> bank and trust, you know, this trust. Like, like mm -hmm. if you remove that trust word and the traditional guys probably don't even like believe that it is like, of, it's almost a negative to say trustless to them in the early days. Right. So people who are able to speak both languages and, and explain well is another uh, skill set that's absolutely needed. Fabulous. Okay. Well, let's dig into uh, Avalabs and the Avalanche Network. So without intending to dismiss other projects, for sure, it's uh, fair to say that beyond Bitcoin's distinct use case, the race is on to challenge the lead that Ethereum has built um, as a first mover amongst blockchain networks looking to kind of higher, uh, offer a higher throughput and uh, composability. Many more projects have the benefit of being able to learn from their mistakes and you pitch the Avalanche Network as the internet of finance. So tell us what that means. Um, what were the high level design choices that the team made um, at the beginning and what are the core objectives? Right, well, first of all, what, what it means is we wanna be a platform where financial assets, whether in the DeFi community or in traditional finance could be easily digitized and, and, and exchange in a seamless way. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully we're a part of the movement where one day moving the value of an asset around is as simple as moving information is in an email. So that's, okay. that was the core principle. Um, 
what we did was, first of all, we said there are some specific problems that need to be addressed in the space, which is transactions per second and, and all of the stuff, the tri trilemma that we always talk about. So mm -hmm. it started with, we think, a next paradigm shift in terms of the actual consensus protocol and how that's, that's designed. Okay. Then the next thing was the architecture, flexible architecture designed on that so that everyone can easily basically develop on top of it. And, and then lastly, it is creating features and, and things that traditional finance people will be able to use and solve some of their problems. I'll give you an example. Um, the biggest difference between you know, traditional guys and OG crypto guys is traditional guys lead with what's my risk and how do I make this compliant before they think about upside? And mm -hmm. I cannot you know, sacrifice the risk to just for the reward. That's the mindset. I would say crypto people natives think about reward before risk. So one of the biggest risks is that it is not compliant. And one way to solve this is through our sub-network architecture. We've made it very easy so that a traditional financial firm who wants to spin up effectively a private blockchain or a private network can A, do it easily, but give them ability to control or choose the validators and set the rules of the validators. So in that way, if laws change, rules change, they can easily change that as well. So you take some of the restrictions away from the, call it the app level at the smart contract level, and you move it to the network level, mm -hmm. you allow them to adapt an asset for the life cycle of the asset. Maybe this you know, fund that they launched on a blockchain one day wants to take subscribers outside the US and the rules are different there. How do they do that? Well, their validator set can, can vote on it in a governance manner and they can then on a private, semi-private, I guess you would call it, they can you know, create the necessary rules to enable that. So without them being able to control some of the rules, it was very hard for a lot of these traditional finance people to want to just digitize an asset on the permissionless network. So that's an example of what we've done in design. Well, and I think we've seen um, the, you know, early attempts. So, you know, I, this is one of the things, this is how I got into the space, kind of working on these walled gardens um, within financial institutions where, you know, maybe this walled garden would talk to this walled garden and these permission networks and, you know, trying to work through consortias. And it was just messy. Um, and, you know, lacked interoperability. And then you had um, other financial institutions trying to figure out, well, should I build on this? Should I build on this? You know, I want to choose the right protocol layer. I don't want to have to rebuild again. So this is just too difficult for me to get my arms around. I'm just not going to do anything. Um, and so, you know, I've personally seen this convergence around these hybrid um, platforms where, you know, there's some of the benefits of the permissionless you know, platform um, merged with some of these features that enable a little bit more kind of control and governance. And it sounds like that's what you guys are trying to template yeah. almost. Absolutely. And it, and it ties back into your earlier question of what skills are necessary in order to bridge the gap. I think the, this is possible because the technology is actually better for all now and, mm -hmm. the, and the newest innovators in the space that's this, this generation of companies like ours and others in the first layer are just learning from and benefiting from the previous generation to be fair 
but it's also a mind shift, a mindset shift. Um, it's kind of like, um, uh, this can't happen unless you're willing to yield a little bit on your, you know, vision for the space. Like in the early days, it was like, okay, they don't understand, shut them out. Now it's kind of like, how do we get more people into this space? And we need to listen to them a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make this funny analog. And I don't know if uh, the listeners here will understand this, um, maybe a little bit too dated, but like, you know, I was, uh, I loved when I was a kid listening to the music, the grunge music coming out of Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know Pearl Jam and they were able to cross over, become a commercial success and keep their purity as a grunge band somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of others were not able to, for whatever reason. And, you know, you know, I think the, the, ultimately the ones that will be successful like Pearl Jam will be the ones that are able to move from that niche grunge community into a more commercial community without alienating the initial community. Yeah, that's a great analogy, actually. That's great. So what approach have you taken towards smart contracts to address the inherent risk that they represent to make them more trustworthy and robust at that kind of institutional grade level? Yeah, that's a great question because that's been a problem. It's a universal problem for the entire mm-hmm. space, as, as we yeah. know. So it's not just us trying to address it. It's everyone trying to address it. And, you know, one thing that we've done, right, as I talked about in terms of getting the governance to the network layer is move some of the control from just the smart contract level to the network layer. So that at least does a little bit more to pro- provide more security but it's a space that we're actively researching on and it's a space the entire, um, not just us, everyone in the space has to worry about security and smart contracts. Okay, so it sounds like you're, you're already compatible with Ethereum um, and running, I've got a note here, Ethereum virtual machine on the C chain. Um, so tell us more about that and what other networks you're considering integrating with. Great, thank you. Um, it's actually, we're very excited about it because we have a community-led bridge. Um, the, you know, it's called AEB, you know, Avalanche Ethereum Bridge, where it allows, run by, you know, literally relayers and administrators, that's not us. Um, and they are bringing assets over. We've got over 100 million of assets now uh, doing transactions in a thing called Pangolin, which is also a community-led project. Um, similar to Uniswap, liquidity pools and AMMs. So um, we're very excited about that. And that technology we use to bridge, um, well, the, uh, the, the communities used to bridge, we've looked at it and that can be done with other um, first layers. So hopefully, um, you know, th- that's the great thing about our community is that there are a lot of developers there who are very creative. They see needs and they are building and hopefully they want to build to other, you know, first layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the Avalanche consensus. One of the core challenges that public blockchain networks have faced is the scaling issue to enable higher throughput and wider adoption, I said at the beginning. So your team has developed a consensus mechanism from scratch. Um, the third generation consensus scheme after traditional Nakamoto consensus. So can you explain what that is? How does the Avalanche consensus mechanism work? Um, and what throughput does it enable? So for real mathematicians who really want to see it in detail, I would recommend you go to our site and, and read it. It's all there. But on a high level, um, we've created what we call random sampling. 
and with random sampling, um, you, can, you can do it with great, it, every single consensus protocol, there's this inherent trade-off, right? You know, basically you sacrifice some security if you make it faster or more scalable. Mm -hmm. um, again, this came out of Cornell University. Eamon Gunsir was a, a well-known distributed systems professor. He and some of his PhD students worked on the underlying consensus protocol and created, uh, you know, it's called random sampling where we, we went through tons of math or they went through tons of math and realized that you can sacrifice so little in security and gain so much in scale and speed by tweaking how the consensus is achieved. And um, that was the big breakthrough. And then we talked about how the, the tech architecture on top of that enables certain features for the financial services area. Okay, so how are miners and node operators incentivized and what does it take for them to contribute to this network? Right, so we are a proof of stake um, protocol, so we don't have miners. So we, okay. we are energy efficient and I guess green, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. Our stakers are incentivized by, oh, sorry, our, uh, the proof of stake validators are, are incentivized by staking and getting yield. Okay, so let's talk about who's using it. Who are the early adopters? What's the, the, the target market you have in mind? Um, is, it's, you know, we've talked a lot about finance. If there's anything else, obviously we'd love to hear about that. But what are the, some of the early use cases that are being developed? So um, the, fir the first use case, we're seeing a lot of DeFi developers trying out our speed and our scalability. The great thing about blockchain, mm -hmm. it's open. So I encourage everyone listening here to try it out and test it out. If you don't believe that we can do five, 6,000 transactions per second, just come in and check it out. Um, so it's a lot of the early DeFi developers. And we're, we think we're, we love Ethereum. So let's, you know, don't get that wrong. Ethereum is our friend. Um, we see a world similar to the way social media played out. There will be uh, winner take most, and then there will be dedicated social networks like, you know, equivalent of a TikTok, Snapchat, or Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And many of us are going to win. And therefore, we will need interoperability. And many of us, meaning there will be specialty people on certain areas. So um, I think the other players that are coming to us have a similar broad vision. It's like, okay, I need to learn about who all the potential players are, even if I am a loyalist to that place or that place. Um, they wanna come and check it out. So their devs are coming to check it out either for competitive reasons or for, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? I believe in this future world where there'll be many winners and let's start working on interoperability. So that's another set of developers coming. And also there's another great burgeoning area. The NFT stuff is really, oh, really growing fast. So exciting to me. I, there's really just fun. something about it I think is so fun. I mean, I think it started out just being very fun, um, but- and kind it, of weird, kind of weird. I know, no, I don't know if it's weird. Maybe weird to people who listen to Pearl Jam, but it's not weird to <laughs> whatever my kids listen to. Um, I mean, it has the potential to disintermediate business models. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, my daughter is an artist and she thinks about how she can make a living being an artist. It's not mm -hmm. easy for her unless you mm -hmm. become famous, right? So, but with NFTs, you have the ability to program into the smart contract where traditional artists, they sell it to someone on the primary sale and they get whatever they get, but every subsequent sale in the future, they get zero. 
you mm -hmm. can now program this non-fungible token that represents ownership of your art so that the secondary sales, you get 10% residual. It's almost like being an actor or an actress. And every time there's a rerun of it, you get a percentage of that. So mm -hmm. I think it started out as being fun, cute, collectibles, crypto kitties, broke the bank in you know 2017. And it's actually started way before then as well. But now we're getting to the point where people are saying, wait, if this can do what it does, it will actually redefine business models going forward. And I, I agree. Kind of what blockchain's about, right? Disintermediating and then creating the business models actually in the digital collectible. Suddenly, like you can create something and let it sell a million times in the secondary market, and you are cool with that. So, um, who were some of the early uh, partnerships that you formed? Is there anything you can share with us about that, or um, you know? how are these partnerships or the formation of them kind of impacting your your community development community well, super, one super partnership important. is your company so let's not forget that so yeah. uh, we have a ton of partnerships and broadly speaking um we have players who uh, have wallets like yourselves and enable certain functionality so there's a potentially there's with between you guys and the other people that we partner with there's hundreds of millions of people that will be having access to our you know uh, chain. Um, then we have stablecoin assets. We've already announced uh, Trust USD. We also have a whole bunch of call it top three, top four in terms of market cap stablecoins that will be announced shortly. Um, we've also uh, uh, partnered with a lot of functionality. We talked about how we had Pangolin and the bridge were community led, but we also partner with other um, uh, other active projects out there to have them deploy on our chain. So there's a long list that's out there that you, uh, people should follow us, check out our website, because they're going to be announced one by one in the near future. Awesome. Um, so a little technical, you know, developer um, question here, what languages can developers build on? So or in, so I should say. So we've made it very flexible so that, you know, one of the things that the enterprise guys like us, when we go into bake-offs with uh, Corda or Hyperledger into an enterprise deal, is that um, we've made it so that their, their technicians or their, their technical engineers can actually use ours easier. So, you know, we've created it so that you can, uh, if you know Solidity, it's fine you can do it. We like that. So in a big picture, the way we think about it is think about um, web design back in 2000. If you wanted a website, you were an e-commerce company, that was very painful. You had to hire mm -hmm. a consulting firm to come in, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they gave you a clunky solution. Mm -hmm. Today, you just go to Wix and you drag and click and you suddenly mm -hmm. have a business instantly and you go to Shopify, you got e-commerce. It's all there. So yep. We are creating that functionality, and and that's how you know we're not there there yet, but that's what we're aiming for going forward. Cool. Okay. Um. And uh, be, before we move on, so I want to ask you some questions about trends as well. Uh, Avalanche X, your accelerator program. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's so kind of like our grant program, where um, we incentivize people who want to build features features on our you know chain. Also, people come to us with ideas and say, hey, wouldn't it be great to build this on your chain or this functionality, this DeFi project, this thing, derivatives, whatever it is, um, 
we have a grants program and, and it's kind of like we think of it as moonshots like we'll give great talented young developers a chance to go and develop now what we would like to see is a team that's married between a great crypto dev type person and someone with some traditional finance and can integrate both minds and then create a, a product that can cross over cool cool well everybody uh, check that out uh, the uh, avalanche Okay, so current trends in the market, um, coming back to kind of the market overall. Um, what are the most current trends in the industry that are exciting to you the most? So for me, I think, you know, seeing all of these large corporate treasury um, moves is pretty exciting. Um, I think it's adding a lot of confidence. Is there is there stuff that's happening um, in the last six months that's, you know, giving you confidence? That you're yeah. kind of on the right path. I mean, that is definitely very exciting. The corporate treasury moves. Um, you know, everyone talks about how Tesla spent 1.5 billion, MicroStrategy spent, you know, all that money, which is all good. Um, but there's, I think, you know, someone um, did this analysis already. I forget which bank did it, but there's 1.3 trillion dollars of cash in the S companies there. Now, if we can get mm -hmm that percentage like Tesla and others to, and Square to continue to do that, there's a long runway still. So I'm very excited about that existing trend. Um, I think the other thing that kind of got lost in the Tesla announcement is effectively that uh, Elon was saying, Elon Musk was saying that someday this could be a payment mechanism for driving driverless cars. So mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be Bitcoin ultimately, Ultimately, it will be someone like ours, you know, Avalanche, where they have the scale and speed. But think about, you know, driverless cars. For real driverless cars to happen, you need things to be pinging each other so cars don't collide into each other. And you need 5G for that. So when 5G comes and the Internet of Things comes, I think Internet of Things come to real fruition. You will need a la carte micro payments so that people can get things done on a micro level. Mm -hmm. as opposed to the way things are done today. And the only way to do that well is have a system where settlement and payment is the same thing because you mm -hmm. need instant switching of money as opposed to the way things are done today. So I think what Elon, and he's a genius, so I don't know exactly what he's thinking, but he's definitely future-proofing a little bit of getting his people to start thinking about this at least. Mm -hmm. And what I think ultimately will happen was with 5G, some great blockchain, will be able to provide that instantaneous settlement back and forth for everyone and allow microtransactions like that to happen. Or, you know, it, we've seen the Internet of Things refrigerator on, uh, on commercials where your milk goes halfway down and somehow instantly Whole Foods knows to send, you know, a shipment of milk to you. Well, how cool it would be could you could also get the payment done all in one without you bothering. I mean, how much time will that save you in life? It would save a lot of time and be, yeah. I mean, incredible. I, it does worry me a little bit. Some of these super smart things where I think, you know, we kind of become automatons like those people on Wally that just kind of float around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do think some intention is good. Um, but I would like to not have to shop for milk for sure. We'll put that one on my list. Yeah. Um, okay. So thinking about kind of the, the word on the street with, you know, traditional finance, um, what are you hearing from your friends? What, what, do, what do people actually think of DeFi? They are curious. They are, they, they're thinking DeFi the same way 
they thought of Bitcoin in 2017. Mm -hmm. How do I make money from it? What's mm -hmm. the next coin? What is below the top five on coin market cap right now? Some of them are starting to think what is happening underneath the price of it. Like what's the mm -hmm. functionality? Why should it exist? And the banks, well, they have this dilemma where they're regulated so heavily that they can't really pursue a lot of this, but this is not, you know, 1995. We've seen what, you know, e-commerce did to retail. We've seen every industry get, you know, disintermediated. So Wall Street, if you will, is not sitting there, you know, oblivious to what's happening. They're watching it, but they are handicapped with certain things because of regulation. So um, I guess the individuals are thinking about price and the corporations and the deeper thinkers are thinking about how it could improve their life and infrastructure. Cool. Okay. Well, we spoke at the beginning that uh, Avalavs is hiring. Um, what are you hiring these people for? What's on your roadmap? What can we yep. look forward to? That's great. Thanks for asking. So uh, we are definitely in the market for more high quality developers, engineers. That's, you know, first and foremost, but just about every single um, function in the firm, we are looking for people. So definitely go to our website and check out who, what we've listed for potential hiring. So on the engineering front, that's a priority. Um, we would love to get a very diverse group of people in there. So I encourage all people who are qualified to, to take a look at us. We're doing a lot of exciting things. Cool. Great. It was such a pleasure to spend some time with you, John. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so you mentioned your Twitter uh, at the beginning. So just tell us all again, how can we get in touch with you and how can people learn more about Avalabs cool. or the Avalanche Network? Yep. So Avalanche and Avalabs, uh, the best place, we have a very good website, avalabs.org. It has a lot of detail and there you can see our Medium handle, our Twitter handle, and you can find everything about us. For me personally and my own views, Twitter again, John, the number one woo, or you can um, find me at my website where I, I, I write a lot of blogs, johnwoo.finance. And on Wednesdays, I host uh, Clubhouse at 4.15 Eastern time. So look Great. forward. Yeah, I'll definitely join you on Clubhouse. Great. Um, we'll, we'll get you on our, our Friday roundtable roundup. That'll be fun. I heard it's fun. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> okay, so last question I ask everybody before they go, what's your Bitcoin price prediction um, at the end of March, next 30 days? Oh, next 30 days. Yeah, you can't make it too easy. Okay, next 30 days, I see we get close to 60,000. 60,000, all right, mm -hmm. good. John, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, take care. You too.